The official crash report was that the pilots were flying low to collect a last bit of scientific data before returning to base, and that the instruments on their B-29 aircraft were improperly calibrated. Also, the account said that Lake Mead, smooth as glass on that July morning in 1948, distorted their depth perception and sent the plane skipping like a stone across the water. The other side of the story that is told and also was repeated by flight crew is they were hot-dogging. They were just, it's fun to fly as low as you can. It just is. That's Susan Edwards, an archaeologist and historian at the Desert Research Institute, or DRI. Whatever the truth, when the B-29 hit Lake Mead, the impact stripped off three of its four engines and took out part of the tail as one of them whipped past. The pilot and the co-pilot were able to wrestle the plane back into the air for about another two to 300 yards, but with only one engine left and it on fire. Luckily, they were able to ditch the the plane straight and level and pop the hatches to escape. Four of the five, anyway. A crew member in the back, Frank Rico, had been thrown against the bulkhead and broke his arm. Now, the plane was going down tail first. He was trying to get out, but his parachute got stuck. The captain and the co-pilot realized that he had not popped up out of the back, and they heard him banging on the interior of the plane. And they went back in and were able to pull him free. So they got into rafts and the plane went down about 12 minutes later. The men were rescued, but the B-29 would be lost in a watery catacomb almost 280 feet below the lake's surface. That is until in 2003 when Dave Conlon laid eyes on it. It really literally looked like a spaceship sitting on the bottom of the of the lake and it was clean and shiny and you could see the, you know, the all the stenciling. Conlon is the chief of the Submerged Resources Center of the National Park Service, which manages underwater assets from coral reefs to shipwrecks. The first dive on the plane was, oh my goodness, this is so deep, this is so scary, this is so dark. And then suddenly we saw the aircraft and it was just beautiful. But actually, he wasn't the first to see it. Several people had tried, without success, to locate the plane, including the pilot who had hired a salvage diver. And then what happened is, is that um, a local diver uh, went out with a with a side scan sonar and looked for the plane. Which, without a permit, is against park regulations, but he did find it. He and a, a team of beginning technical divers started diving on the plane. And over the course of a year, they they set up lights and they, they were filming and they, they removed items. Their plan was to do a documentary, file a salvage claim, and sell the aircraft. And we said, well, wait a minute, it's International Park and it's a U.S. military aircraft and you found it illegally. Following a court battle, the Park Service prevailed as the rightful custodian. And now the challenge is to have the public appreciate the B-29 and its history. So what is the history? Why was the plane flying over Lake Mead? Jeff Wedding, Sue's colleague at DRI, gives the backstory that starts with the rise of Nazi Germany. The powers that be in the military are realizing we may be drawn into a global conflict. A call goes out from the War Department for a new type of bomber, the B-29 Superfortress, as it came to be known. It's pushing the boundaries on aviation design. It's going to be twice the size, carry twice the payload, 
go twice the distance as anything we've got flying, and it'll do it 100 miles an hour faster. A pair of B-29s, the Enola Gay and the Boxcar, would become famous as the planes that dropped the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. But the B-29s sitting at the bottom of Lake Mead had a different mission. It was designed for photo reconnaissance, to take post-mission bomb damage assessment photographs or to take preliminary photos of a target. After the war, many B-29s were mothballed, but the Lake Mead plane with its observation windows was perfectly suited to do emerging science on the upper atmosphere. So aboard the plane on that July morning in 1948 was an instrument called the Sun Tracker. It was a, a spectrograph that uh, focused on the bandwidths of light. The mission was to measure infrared rays, research that would lead to the creation of heat-seeking missiles. And although the data were lost in the wreck, the plane offers a glimpse into history because it's intact even with the co-pilot's headset still dangling on the stick, along with Frank Rico's parachute after they cut him free. Also, the B-29 is sitting in fresh water that preserves it better than had it crashed in the ocean. Or not. Starting in 2007, quagga mussels, a tiny invasive species that harms ecosystems and damages infrastructure, started appearing in the lake. You still get the sense of the, the B-29, but it is covered with it, and it is weighing on the fabric and the structural members, the sheer weight of the quaggas. Park Service divers like Conlon will monitor how the mussels are affecting the plane, and also what happens as the region gets warmer and drier. So as the lake level drops, the plane becomes easier and easier to access. And so the number of people who have the skill and ability to dive on the plane has increased dramatically. And that epitomizes a common dilemma for the Park Service. We all have a, a mandate and a desire to involve the American people in their national parks. And in the process of doing that, of course, we don't want the thing that we're showing people to be destroyed. One way to protect the B-29 is to grant it National Historic Landmark status. And an application by the Park Service is under review with a decision possibly by summer. Do I wish that it still looked like a spaceship? Absolutely. We are in the forever business. And my job is to leave our parks the way I found them. And if if I do my job well, no one will ever know that I ever did my job. For H2O Radio, I'm Franny Halperin.